to a great oppressor, and he that hateth covetousness shall prolong his days. What I want to talk about tonight is competence versus coercion. And we're dealing with leadership here, and a good verse that kind of ties into this is in uh, verse 26, where it says, He that trusteth in his own heart is a fool, but he that walketh wisely, he shall be delivered. And how much more when the prince walks wisely, when the prince does what is right, and when people that are in positions of power use their heads instead of their hearts. Now, men who rely on the weight of their fists rather than the weight of their character lack understanding. People don't look to them as people as being wise, as being competent. They look at them and they do what they say because they fear them alone. This is known as a tyrant. Tyrants operate based off of a principle of fear. That's how they operate. And when men lack other good attributes, fear becomes the main tool of their persuasion. The Bible says in Proverbs 4, verses 7 through 8, Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom, and with all thy getting, get understanding. Exalt her, and she shall promote thee. She shall bring thee to honor when thou dost embrace her. So the Bible teaches that wisdom is the way to be promoted. It's the way we get ahead in life. It's not by our brute strength. It's not by people being afraid of us. Um, Machiavelli is a, uh, the Prince by Machiavelli is a book I, I recently finished reading. And he was the guy who basically believed that a prince should rather be feared than loved. Because if people love you as a prince, he thought, well, something go wrong and they can love you afar off. But if they fear you, then if they don't show up, they know what you'll do to them if you don't show up. So that was his philosophy, but this is a completely stupid philosophy because it doesn't take into account charity. As a ruler, we want to be charitous. We want to look for the benefit of our people. We want to be loving. But at the same time, we don't want to let people walk over us. A lot of times people think, oh, he's exercising authority. He's being a tyrant because he says no. No, he's being a good leader, and you're just mad at him because he's not going to let you take advantage of him. And that's one thing wisdom is good for. If you would, go to 1 Samuel chapter 18. We're going to look at some examples of wisdom in the Bible in leadership. 1 Samuel chapter 18. This is a story about King David. As he's, he, This is chapter 17. He just beat Goliath, and he's kind of gaining recognition with the Israelites. And in 1 Samuel chapter 18, beginning at verse 27, the Bible reads, Wherefore David arose and went, he and his men, and slew the Philistines two hundred men. And David brought their foreskins, and they gave them, and full tell to the king, that I might be the king's son-in-law. And Saul gave him Michael, his daughter, to wife. So this is basically when Saul, hey, you want Michael, my daughter, to wife? Bring me a hundred foreskins of the Philistines. And David brings two hundred foreskins of the Philistines. And it says, And Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David, and that Michael, Saul's daughter, loved him. And Saul was yet the more afraid of David, and Saul became David's enemy continually. Then the prince of the Philistines went forth, and it came to pass, after they went forth, that David behaved himself more wisely than all the servants of Saul, so that his name was much set by. Notice, David's wisdom and his behavior caused his name to be revered. People didn't fear him. They didn't fear his force, his fortitude. They feared him because they knew, hey, this is someone who knows what he's doing. This is someone who is competent. This is someone who is sober. And they respected him. So we see that wisdom gave him respect. Go to Genesis chapter 41. Genesis chapter 41. And look at verse 15 to 16. Genesis 41. This is, of course, with Joseph. 
The Bible says in verse 15, And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I have dreamed a dream, and there is none that can interpret it. And I have heard say of thee that thou canst understand a dream to interpret it. And Joseph answered Pharaoh, saying, It is not in me. God shall give Pharaoh an answer of peace. Jump down to verse 33. It says, Now therefore let Pharaoh look out a man discreet and wise, and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this, and let him appoint officers over the land, and take up the fifth part of the land of Egypt in the seven plenteous years, and let them gather all the food of those good years that come, and lay up corn under the hand of Pharaoh, and let them keep food in the cities, and that food shall be for store to the land against the seven years of famine, which shall be in the land of Egypt, that the land perish not through the famine. And the thing was good in the eyes of Pharaoh, in the eyes of all the servants. So basically, Joseph interprets the dream to Pharaoh, and he gives Pharaoh some advice about what he should do, because there's going to be seven years of famine coming on the land. And this is what Pharaoh says. It says, And Pharaoh said unto the servants, Can we find such a one as this is, a man in whom the Spirit of God is? And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, For as much as God has shewed thee all this, there is none so discreet and wise as thou art. Thou shalt be over my house, and according unto my word shall all my people be ruled. Only the throne will I be greater than thou. So you see once again in the Bible that it wasn't anything that Joseph had. It wasn't anything of his capability. It wasn't his brute force. It wasn't his strength. It was basically he had a good relationship with God. He was able to pray to God, get the dream interpreted, and by his obedience, and by his gift, obviously, God promoted him to a great position of power. I mean, Pharaoh basically said, you know, only the throne, I'm greater than you. You're the greatest man in Egypt at this point. So we see that wisdom obviously gave Joseph more responsibility because if you study Joseph's life, every transition he had in life, he gained more authority. You know, he was... Portifar, then he was in the prison, and then all the prisoners loved him, and now he's ruling Egypt. And he got there because he had a brain, right? Go to Esther chapter 2. Esther chapter 2. Look at verse 21. Esther 2.21. The Bible says, In those days while Mordecai sat in the king's gate, two of the king's chamberlains, Big Ben and Teresh, of those which kept the door were wroth, and sought to lay hand on the king Ahasuerus, and the thing was known to Mordecai, who told it unto Esther the queen. Esther certified the king thereof in Mordecai's name. And when inquisition was made of the matter, it was found out. Therefore they were both hanged on a tree, and it was written in the book of the Chronicles before the king. If you would, go to chapter 6 of Esther. Chapter 6. So basically, Mordecai sees something about to happen to the king. There was a conspiracy to basically do harm to the king. Mordecai does the right thing and lets people know. And Esther certifies this in Mordecai's name. And if you're in chapter 6, we're going to see what happens. We're going to read up to verse uh, 10. It says, On that night could not the king sleep, and he commanded to bring the book of records of, of the chronicles, and they were read before the king. And it was found written that Mordecai had told of Big Fan and Teresh, two of the king's chamberlains, the keepers of the door, who sought to lay hand on the king of Hasuerus. And the king said, What honor and dignity hath been done to Mordecai for this? Then said the king's servants that ministered unto him, There is nothing done for him. And the king said, Who was in the court? Now Haman was coming to the outward court of the king's house to speak unto the king to hang Mordecai on the gallows that he had prepared for him. And the king's servants said unto him, Behold, Haman standeth in the court, and the king said, Let him come in. So Haman came in, and the king said unto him, What shall be done unto the man whom the king delighteth to honor? Now Haman thought in his heart, To whom would the king delight to do more honor than to myself? And Haman answered the king, For the man whom the king delighteth to honor, 
Let the royal apparel be bought which the king useth to wear, and the horse that the king rideth upon, and the crown robe which is set upon his head. And let his apparel and horse be delivered to the hand of one of the king's most noble princes, that they may array the men with all whom the king delighteth to honor, and bring him on horseback through the street of the city, and proclaim before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delighted to honor. Then the king said to Haman, Make haste, and take the apparel and the horse, as thou hast said, and do even so to Mordecai the Jew, that sitteth at the king's gate, let nothing fail of all that thou hast spoken. Now imagine you doing this. Imagine you seeing something about to happen to anyone you know, maybe a mayor, maybe a governor, maybe the president of the United States, and you basically protect him, you do a good thing, you know, would you be expecting to receive this in return? You know, you got a horse, you got a, a, a like, cloak, people proclaiming your name in the streets, people probably throwing flowers in the air, like, this will it be done to whom the king delights to honor? I mean, Mordecai didn't just expect this to happen to him, you know? He probably expected a coin or something, I don't know. Because the Jews at this time are being oppressed, you know? And Mordecai did this out of the kindness of his heart because it was right. And the, the Bible even talks about this in the law, how if you see something happening that is wrong, you are supposed to let the, the authorities know. That's in, that's in the law of God. So Mordecai does this, and we see him be promoted, just like we saw in Proverbs chapter 4. We saw how wisdom equals respect. We saw how Joseph gained wisdom. He gained responsibility through his wisdom. And now we see Mordecai, just this dude, he's being honored dramatically. And if you, if you keep reading on the word to the, through the book of Esther, we see that he is a very prominent man in authority. This is our last example of the introduction. We go to Luke 16. Luke 16. This is my most important example. Luke 16, look at verse 19. The Bible says, There was a certain rich man, which was clothed in purple and fine linen, and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was slayed at the gate full of sores, Desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. And the rich man died also and was buried. And in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments, and see if Abraham had fallen from Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus his evil things. But now he is tormented, but now he is comforted, excuse me, and thou art tormented. So what's the most important thing about wisdom? Well, the Bible says in Proverbs, the way of life is above to the wise, that he may depart from hell beneath. I believe that's Proverbs 14. If you are wise into salvation, you're, you're doing really good. You know, I'd say... Because the Bible says, Jesus said, there, among them that are born among women, there have not risen a greater than John the Baptist, notwithstanding he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Hey, if you have salvation down, if you're going to heaven, you're doing really good wisdom. But more importantly this, the Bible teaches that the spirit of the Lord is liberty. When you have the spirit of God, you have freedom. You're not in bondage under sin. And by nature, if you're wise into salvation... If you're wise to what it takes to be saved to get to the kingdom of heaven, you obviously have a lot of knowledge about freedom, about liberty, you know, about, you know, fleeing oppression. I mean, the, when you start reading the Bible, what are you reading about? You're reading about a people who are oppressed, and they're fleeing Egypt. And what does the Bible say in Proverbs? The Bible says the prince that, 
the, uh, I'm confusing the word. It says, the prince that wanteth understanding is also a great oppressor. So this is a major theme in the Bible. That was the introduction. So you, you, if that was an introduction, you probably know the sermon's going to be pretty long. So there is more power in competence than in brute force, right? That's by way of the introduction. That's what I want to get you to see. Now I want to give you some examples of this. If you would, go to Nehemiah chapter 6. So we saw what wisdom does, but now let's see it applied throughout Scripture. This is all still technically intro. We're going to get to the message eventually. Give me about three hours. <laughs> Nehemiah chapter 6. And look at verse 10. The Bible says, Afterward I came into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Delilah, the son of Mehetabiel, who was shut up, and he said, Let us meet together in the house of God within a temple, and let us shut the doors of the temple, for they will come to slay thee, yea, in the night will they come to slay thee. And I said, Such a man as I flee, and who is there that being as I am will go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. And lo, I perceive that God had not sent him, but that he pronounced this prophecy against me, for Tobiah and Sambalad had hired him. Therefore was he hired, that I should be afraid, and do so, and sin, and that they might have matter for an evil report, that they might reproach me. What do we see here? Here's an example of Nehemiah being tried to take, be taken advantage of. They're trying to get Nehemiah to basically agree with them, consent with them, get him alone, Basically, they're giving him a false fear, right? Because they, they obviously have an agenda. There's, they have a motive to their goal. Nehemiah is competent. He sees that, and he says no. He dismisses it. It doesn't happen. Think of Solomon. After he had gotten wisdom, he woke up from the dream, we find these two, these two whores, right? One had a kid that she laid on and killed, and the other one had a kid that was still alive, and she stole it. We know the story, obviously. And... When Solomon gave judgment, when he said, divide the child in half, then obviously we know the woman who the child was, the child's mother, obviously said, no, you know, keep it. And that's how Solomon knew that, hey, this is the mother of the child. But more importantly than that, it says that the people, when they heard of that story, they feared Solomon. They took note of that, and they feared the king. They said, hey, this king is wise. This king is competent. We can't just do what we want and expect nothing to happen. We can't take advantage of him. We can't just try to manile and, and, and coerce him through our persuasion of our foolishness to do what we want to get him to do. He's not a pilot. He's not going to listen to the people. He already has his own principles, right? He doesn't lack understanding. And notice what happened. If you remember reading, when Solomon started sinning, when he started committing idolatry, what does the Bible say? It says he oppressed some of the people at that time. Solomon's reign of wisdom is tied to the people's liberty. He made silver to be of stones in Jerusalem, and he made the sycamine trees of cedar trees. But when Solomon began to sin, that's when he began to oppress. And that's with Nehemiah. Imagine if Nehemiah would have listened to them. I mean, he could have died. Who knows what would have happened? I don't think the wall would have gotten built. I don't think a lot of things would have gotten done. Because Nehemiah was a very, very good governor, and he sought the benefit of the people. If you would, go to Ezekiel chapter 9. Ezekiel chapter 9. Look at verse 14. Bible says there was a little city and few men within it, and there came a great king against it and besieged it and built great bulwarks against it. Now there was found in it a poor wise man. 
he by his wisdom delivered the city, yet no man remembered that same poor man. Then said I, wisdom is better than strength. Nevertheless, the poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are not heard. The words of the wise are heard in quiet more than a cry of him that rules among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroyeth much good. This is an awesome parable. I like this parable a lot because it really puts things in perspective. You can have this king coming against you with armies, he's besieging the city, and then there's this poor wise man, and he can outwit this great army. He can maneuver and dodge this king who's besieging the city, and it doesn't mention anything. Obviously, he probably used, he probably used tactics and things like that, but what the Bible is highlighting for us is the virtue of wisdom in and of itself. He may not have had all of the, the equipment that the army that was coming against him. He probably didn't have the forces that they had, but he had a mind. He had a brain, right? I hope you're noticing a pattern here. There's no such thing as a dumb leader who's godly in the Bible. I hope you understand that. You know, sometimes people like to brag about how stupid they are. No. And if they, hey, that's, if you're stupid, and I mean this in the most nice way possible, if you, are, if you don't know a lot, you need to learn. You need to pick up your Bible, read the Bible, no scriptures. It's nothing to be boastful if you don't know anything, right? We don't want to have a culture in our church where I don't know a lot. Oh, well, that's back in high school days, you know. How are you going to lead your family, husband? How are you going to lead the church, pastor, if you don't know what to say to them? If they come to you and ask you for advice, how are you going to guide them? <laughs> you need to be guided. You don't need that someone should lead you. Imagine you coming to King Solomon. Solomon, I, I, I've been, my, my mom, my dad or something, you know, I, I, I haven't been submitting to them. I know the Bible says I'm supposed to be stoning the stones. I'm a drunkard. I'm a glutton. You know, Solomon, what, what do you think I should do? Imagine Solomon just saying, you know what, I think you should just pray. I think you should go home. I think you should, you know, buy my book, read it over, pray to God, come to my meeting. I think we should all. You know, matter of fact, I'm going to bring you in my service. We're going to pray for you. We're going to have a. We're going to have a whole uh, seminar for you. We're going to give you a gift basket. We're going to do anything we can to get you, old drunkard, to submit to your father. And, and then, he, and then he comes back. And, and imagine, imagine if, um, if King David, right? King David, you know. Here, here's a better example. Imagine this. Imagine Sheba. I, I think it's Shimei, the guy who was cursing his father. Uh, King David and everything, and, and Solomon gives him a rule, right? He says, don't leave. I want you to stay here, right? He leaves, gets a servant, comes back. Imagine if Solomon's just completely lenient, right? He doesn't have any integrity. He, he comes back, he's like, yeah, I know I left, but you're not going to believe this, Solomon. I repented from cursing your father. I deserve to be spared, right? Do you think people are going to fear Solomon if he's that lenient, if his word can't be taken seriously? You think people are going to fear Solomon? Because you can't be so... People think this is love. It's not love. You lack character. You lack respect for what you stand up for. When you allow people to run over you, that's not love. Jesus didn't allow people to run over him. Right? Jesus had to die. But guess what? Jesus said also, hey, you're going to sell my house? Well, that table's flipped over. Hey, you're going to, you know, buy and sell and have doves and money changes and everything. Well, it looks like this whip's going to be cracking. You have to have a balance, right? And there's this touchy, lovey, dovey kind of leadership, and it's not biblical. It's not right. So the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 10.10, 10, it says, If the iron be blunt, and he do not wet the edge, 
then must he put to more strength, but wisdom is profitable to direct. He's saying if the iron be blunt, and he do not wet the edge, what kind of iron needs to be sharpened? I don't know, a sword, or an axe, or a knife, cut cup. If he says the, if the iron be blunt, and he do not wet the edge, you know, it's going to be a hard time, you know, chopping something if the iron's blunt. But then he says this, wisdom is profitable to direct. You see, wisdom just slices like butter. Matter of fact, it, it slices even to the dividing of center of the thoughts and intents of the heart. That's how powerful wisdom is. And when you have wisdom, your life will be a lot smoother. It'll be, instead of sawing that bark with that dull butter knife, you know, it's going to be like sawing butter. That's what wisdom is like. And Solomon, when he judged those two, those two prostitutes, you know, he didn't have to have a big meeting, a big trial, a big investigation. No, no, he just used wisdom. And everything just smoothly worked out. And people feared, and justice was served. It's a balance, right? So that's the introduction. All right, now let's get into the meat. All right, so why is oppression linked to foolish headship? Because remember, the, the, the verse that I read was the press that wants of understanding is a great oppressor, but he that hates of covetousness shall prolong his days. So why is it that, you know, we look at a lot of leaders through history, you know, Adolf Hitler, Joseph Stalin, you know, Barack Obama, a lot of leaders in history were very, very oppressive. And sometimes we think they're very competent. Karl Marx is considered a philosopher, but he's an idiot. So let's see what the Bible has to say about this. If you would, go to Exodus chapter 1. Exodus chapter 1, look at verse 7. The Bible says in verse 7, And the children of Israel were fruitful, increased abundantly, and multiplied, and waxed exceeding mighty, and the land was filled with them. Now there arose a new king. Stop. There arose a new king. This is probably not the, an 80-year-old pharaoh. This is probably a much younger person, right? There's a new king. He's just got to the throne. He's, he's a lot younger. And then it says, which knew not Joseph. And he said unto his people, Behold, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come on, let us deal wisely with them, lest they multiply and it come to pass that when there falleth out any war, they join also unto our enemies and fight against us and so get them out of the land. Therefore, they did set over them taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens, and they built for Pharaoh treasure cities, Pithom and Ramesses. So we have this new king rise up. He sees that the Israelites are multiplying. They're, they're doing great. God is blessing them. They're being fruitful. They're multiplying. And he says to himself, they're going to take us over. They're going to multiply. We're going to be going to battle one day. And I think that, I think this is going to happen. I think one day they may turn against us, fight us, you know, and then what am I going to look like? I'm going to look like an idiot. What do, I, what do I think I should do? I think let's oppress them. Because I think that they are going to threaten Egypt. What is this? Why is he, where is this fear coming from? I mean, if he knowed anything about the previous Pharaoh, how he was friendly, if he knowed anything about Joseph, how he did all these blessings for the land, the Jews have been, if, if the Jews have been anything to Egypt, they've been a blessing. They helped them get through the seven years famine. You know, they're giving them the law. You know, they're, you know, they're, they're walking with God. And so Pharaoh has no reason, really, that the Bible gives us to really be afraid of the Jews in and of itself, other than his own superstition. What is this? Pharaoh is insecure about his kingdom. 
He feels as if that they are a threat when they're not. He's afraid of something that isn't a fear. And what does this cause Pharaoh to do? Well, um, if you know anything about the Red Sea, it leads to this big drama of, of obviously Moses having to release the plagues and everything. If you would, go down to verse 16. It says, and, and he said, when you do the office of a midwife to the Hebrew women and see them upon the stools, if it be a son, then ye shall kill him. But if it be a daughter, then she shall live. Pharaoh institutes abortion, basically. He says, I want you to kill every son in Egypt. Why? Why this oppression? Because I'm scared. That's the bottom line. I feel as if you are a threat. Even though you know, you're, you're, you're working great, you got us to defend, I still have a superstition that you may destroy my kingdom. So what does he do? He kills their children. It is an unjust and unreasonable fear. Right? And Pharaoh is new. He is a novice. Right? That's why the Bible says, not a novice that's being lifted up with pride, he falls into the condemnation of the devil. Pharaoh, instead of looking to history of what happened with Joseph and Jacob, instead he's just relying on his own heart. Right? And that is a bad thing. So we see, first of all, that when 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 um Evil people oppress, when evil leaders oppress, they oppress out of, number one, insecurity. They are afraid of something that is a non-existent threat. They're not relying on God. They are relying on their own heart to make their decisions, right? Let's look at the second example. Go to 1 Kings chapter 12. 1 Kings chapter 12, beginning at verse 3. First Kings chapter 12, verse 3. Obviously, this is our church's famous dispute about Rehoboam. Don't worry, I'm not preaching on that. I've already won that argument. First Kings chapter 12, beginning at verse 3, the Bible says that they sent and called him, and Jeroboam and all the congregation of Israel came and spake unto Rehoboam, saying, Thy father made our yoke grievous. Now therefore make thou the grievous service of thy father, and his heavy yoke which he put upon us, Letter and we will serve thee. Isn't that a great deal? You know, hey, we're willing to serve you. Just do this one thing, right? So easy. Verse 5. And he said unto them, Depart yet for three days, then come again to me. And the people departed. And King Rehoboam consulted with the old men that stood before Solomon his father while he yet lived, and said, How do you advise that I may answer this people? And they spake unto him, saying, If thou wilt be a servant unto this people this day, and wilt serve them and answer them and speak good words to them, then they will be thy servants forever. But he forsook the counsel of the old men which had which they had given him and consulted with the young men that were grown up with him and which stood before him and he said unto them, What counsel give ye that we may answer this people who have spoken to me, saying, Make the oath which thy father did put upon us lighter? And the young men that were grown up with him spake unto him, saying, Thus shalt thou speak unto this people that speak unto thee, saying, Thy father made our yoke heavy, and make thou it lighter unto us. Thus shalt thou say unto them, My little finger shall be thicker than my father's loins. And now, whereas my father did laid you with a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father hath chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scorpions. So Jeroboam and all the people came to Jeroboam in the third day, as the king had appointed, saying, Come me again the third day. And obviously we know that he took the young men's advice. So let's get right into the third, the second reason as to why 
foolish princes oppress, they oppress because they lack maturity. They have no maturity. Rehoboam had the wisest man to ever live as his father. He had the book of 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, no, 1 Samuel. He had those books to live off of, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel. He had the whole law. I'm pretty sure his father taught him. You know, I'm pretty sure he had, because the Bible says Solomon wrote all these books on trees and, and, and natural things. Pretty sure he had access to all those books. But he listened to his friends. He's like, why? What, what are you doing? And the people, he had everything lined up wrong. The people just had two awesome kings. They had King David. And they're like, wow, this is great. Then they get Solomon. Like, man, this is great. Silver's everywhere. And then Rehoboam shows up, and he's like, I think they're flawed. I think, you know, I think their system was flawed. You know, buddies, come here. I want to ask you guys, how do you think I should rule this people? And you know what this sounds like a lot today? This sounds like the socialist Marxist youth in universities who think that the Constitution is flawed, who think that the old system of government is flawed. What is Rehoboam doing? What is he, what is he doing? He's instituting Egypt's policies. He didn't, did not Egypt oppress them with, with whips? Did not he make, didn't, wasn't Pharaoh's little finger thicker than his father's loins? Rehoboam basically adopts Pharaoh's policy to Israel. He takes something that is oppressive and evil and takes their rights away and tries to apply that to the, to the Israelites. And that's exactly what we see today. They want to take from Marx, they want to take critical theorists like Hubmeyer and all these guys, and they want to apply that to the United States of America. It's like, history is not relative, right? History is fact, these are dates, right? Math is not fiction. Right? And wisdom isn't boring. We live in a culture that is warring against the past. And America exalts the screaming youth over the age of sagacity. You know, it would have been one thing if Rehoboam would have just not had a great father. Let's say his father was Manasseh, right? He didn't have a lot to go off of, right? But if your father's the wisest man to ever live and you make this kind of mistake, that makes you look extremely bad. And that's a bad thing. If you look look at verse 10, this is another thing I want to point out. And the young men that were grown up with him spake unto them, saying, Thus shalt thou speak unto this people, and spake unto them, saying, Thy father made our yoke heavy, and make thou it lighter upon us, unto us. Thus shalt thou say unto them, My little finger shall be thicker than my father's loins. And now whereas my father laid you with, he with a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father hath chastised you with whips, I will chastise you with Scorpions, so Jeroboam and all the people, I read the wrong verse, jump down to verse 14. It says, He spake unto them after the council of young men, saying, My father made your yoke heavy, and I will add to your yoke. My father also chastised you with whips, and I will chastise you with, with scorpions. Wherefore the king hearkened not unto the people, but the cause was from the Lord, that I might perform his saying, which the Lord spake by Ahijah the silent unto Jeroboam the son of Nebat. So when all Israel saw that the king hearkened not unto them, the people answered the king, saying, what portion have we in David? Neither have we inheritance in the son of Jesse. To your tents, O Israel. Now see to thine own house, David. So Israel departed unto their tents. This is when the great schism happens. This is when the two kingdoms split. One bad decision led to two nations. Think about that. That's the impact of his foolishness. His oppression led to them saying, no. We're going to rebel. And look at what happens. It says in verse 18, Then King Rehoboam sent Adoram, who was over the tribute, and all Israel stoned him with stones, that he died. Therefore King Rehoboam made speed to get him up to his chariot to flee to Jerusalem. 
And then it says, so Israel rebelled against the house of David unto this day. His stupidity led to a rebellion. That is dangerous. So we see we ought not take it lightly when our leaders are fools. We ought to want wise people. And you as a leader, whether you be a mayor, husband, pastor, you as a leader, you ought not take it lightly if the people you're trying to lead, if they're smarter than you. That's not to put them down. That's not to make them feel bad. But the buck stops with you. You make the decisions. You're responsible. And obviously, one bad decision can lead to a household being divided. It can lead to people being stoned and killed. It can lead to disaster. It can lead to an entire northern kingdom worshiping the devil because of one stupid decision. That puts things in perspective. And thirdly, let's look at the last example. Go to Luke chapter 20. Luke chapter 20. So we first saw that they that uh, when foolish princes oppressed, they oppressed because of their they're insecure. We second saw that they oppressed out of immaturity. In Luke chapter 20, beginning at verse 45, we're going to see the third thing. The Bible says, beginning at verse 45, Then in the audience of all the people he said unto his disciples, Beware of the scribes, which desire to walk in long robes, and love readings in the markets, and the highest seats in the synagogues, and the chief rooms at feasts, which devour widows' houses, and for a shoe make long prayers. The same shall receive greater damnation. My third point is, the oppressed seeking preeminence. They're not doing it for you. They're doing it for themselves. Third John, verses 9 to 10, you don't have to turn there, says, I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds which he doeth, parading against us with malicious words, and not content therewith, neither doth he himself receive the brethren, and forbiddeth them that would, and casteth them out of the church. Does Diotrephes sound like he's a loving leader? Does he sound like he's really seeking the benefit of this flock? He kind of sounds like a jerk, to put it bluntly. He sounds like someone who's full of himself. He sounds like that manager. When I picture diatrophies, I think, I think of that coworker who gets promoted, and he's a completely different person. He can't say, hey, how you doing? And he's got that, that high chin, that stuck-up attitude. When I think of diatrophies, I think of someone like that. And diatrophies, as a leader, we have to remember that the reason why God gave Adam dominion the reason why God gave authority to the pastor, he gives authority to the government, he gives authority to husbands and wives. The reason he gives them that is because he wants them to seek the benefit of others. Your best interest as a leader, hey, you, it should be the people you're helping. The atrophy's preeminence was at the expense of the church's benefit. That's where he went wrong. The Bible says in Matthew 23, 4, For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne, and by them um, in I can't read my handwriting. And by them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. So we see, obviously, we know about the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the leaders. He said in Matthew 23, beginning at verses 1 to 3, I believe, he said, all, all things that they bid you observe, that observe and do. But do not after their works, for they say and do not. The Pharisees were speaking all the right things. They were exercising their proper seat of authority. They sat in Moses' seat. The problem was the heart was twisted. The problem was they did it for the wrong reasons. The problem was, they could go to the temple and see a man praying next to them, and instead of encouraging him, loving him, trying to help him, 
They're saying, I thank thee, O Lord, that I'm not like this man, a sinner. They're not seeking his interest. They're seeking a pedestal. That is the difference. They don't care that, you know, I am a man. I have a responsibility. They do not care about their duty. They want the benefits. They want the cash. They want the popularity. That is what they care about. And when you have leaders that are in it for that, you can have you can have parents that are like that. You can have parents who they don't want what's best for their kids. No, they want what's best for themselves. And when they're like that, you know, what happens to the children? Well, usually the children suffer extremely. They end up in foster care, they end up on drugs, they end up feeling neglected, they end up with mental and emotional abuse. This can happen with husbands and wives. Both ways. You can have a punk who beats his wife. And you have a wife who's emotionally neglectful towards her husband. Why? Because they're seeking their own benefit. They're not doing it for the spouse. They're doing it for themselves. This can happen with a pastor. You can have a pastor who's only in it for the money, who's only seeking a pedestal, who's only trying to be advantaged by himself. Why is he doing this? Because he's not a man of God. You made a mistake. Leave that church. That's the answer. In both ways as well, you can have it where the church is deacon run. The members make the decisions, the pastor's against the wall, and they're trying to vote him out. Goes both ways, people. Goes both ways. So remember, Paul said, seek the wealth of others. That is your responsibility as a leader. When you become a leader, it's not a privilege, it is a duty. You are assigned a duty. You're expected to do this. Don't think of this as just some kind of some kind of, you know, I can put this on my wall. It's not like that. You're held accountable, mister. So when we look at oppression today, the three categories I gave you, insecurity, um, immaturity, and seeking preeminence, a lot of times we can trace the defects in people's leadership to those three categories. And what's a very, very immature, insecure, and a very uh, preeminence-seeking kind of oppression that we're seeing today? We're seeing people in the streets being bashed in the head with skateboards. We're seeing people in the streets being shot. We're seeing all this rioting and, and drunkenness and all this kind of stuff. And we need to remember to we need to keep our heads on. We don't want to end up like that. We want to be circumspect. We want to be wise. We want to have a destination. When you're a fool, you don't have anything. You don't know what you're doing. You're just kind of apathetic about life. You know, it's what's up, bro. You know, got the blunt and everything. Living in a pen. You don't have any goals in life. But Solomon had a vision. He wanted to build something. He wanted to build a nation. Moses had a vision. He wanted to lead something. He wanted to lead his people. You know, Nehemiah had a vision. David had a vision. Jesus had a vision. Paul had a vision. And when you try to take on leadership without a vision, you will fail. You don't have a plan. You don't have a blueprint. What do you have? Your own heart. What do you have? Your own flesh. What do you have? Do you have the word of God? No. Do you have a dream? No. Do you have a vision? No. What do you have? What you have is a self-willed attitude. You need to make sure that if you're going to take on any kind of authority, before you do that, why are you doing it? That's what you need to decide. The Bible says in the closing, Proverbs 24, excuse me, Proverbs 29, verse 4, you have to turn there. The Bible says, The king by judgment establisheth the land, but he that receiveth gifts overthroweth it. What's the difference between the king who's judging and the king that's receiving gifts? It's pretty obvious. Guys receiving gifts, you know, he's getting all the he's getting all Santa's glories, right? Getting all the presents for himself. But the guy who's judging, you know, people don't like judgment, but it's good for them. 
People are going to crucify you, call you names, go to judgment. You know, my husband said no to me, and all that kind of stuff. But it's good for you. Judgment is good. And it's a lot better than him receiving gifts. People don't respect people. And let me say this too. If you don't have a backbone, people are not going to respect you. If you let people walk over you, if you lack competence as a leader, if people can take advantage of you, you won't be respected. That's just how it is. I mean, you can't, you can, you can pray and ask God, you know, give me leadership, give me, give me competence, give me this ability. But don't get in that position and then decide to pray. Know this beforehand. Don't go into something, don't go into this, and then just expect God to kind of guide you along the way. God already told you, hey, what are the qualifications? God already told Moses, this is what you're going to do. God already told David, hey, this is the kingdom. This is how it's going to be run. Don't go into it saying, I don't I know I'm not, I know I don't know what I'm doing, but you know, I think that God will leave me. No, no, no. Step down. And if you're married, step up. <laughs> so what's the conclusion? The conclusion, the conclusion is this: grow in knowledge, gain competency, weaponize your mind. I don't know if you noticed, but us sitting here, you know, you're public enemy number one to the left in society. You know, husbands, wives, children, sitting in church on a Sunday. <laughs> it's crazy, but we're all like public enemy number one. No mask. Yeah, no mask. Yeah. I, have my, I left mine on my seat, so you hear that? Anyway, but uh, thank you for your time. Uh, let's go ahead and ask for us for, for a word of prayer. Uh, Lord God, we thank you for this beautiful Sunday. Thank you for the soul that was saved. Help us to be competent as leaders, you know, um, men and women. Women lead as well. They lead the younger women. Help us all to be confident, to not be taken advantage of, and not to go into anything unskilled. Lord, if you gave us the parameters, if you gave us what you expect, well, help us to obey you and not disobey and do it anyway. Help us to just do everything as we're supposed to. Lord, we thank you for the examples of leadership and courage you gave us in the Bible, of great judges, Lord, and kings and prophets. Lord, help us to, to be like them more. Help us to use our minds, Lord, in making decisions and not our heart. Just bless us and guide us throughout the week. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm -hmm. Do we sing a song? Or?